0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. He is Adam Spencer and I am Connor O'Kira. Uh Adam has stopped listening to the new Taylor Swift album so he could come talk some week two SEC action. Adam, explain the circumstances of why you are joining us and why Marler is not here.
1: Uh, so from what I understand, Marler is out searching for White Claw. Uh, due to the national <laughs> shortage that's going on here. I think he's really upset about that and just really needs to uh, get as much as he can, really. He's getting uh, his sticks. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, Marler, Marler is out of commission today. Um, he had appendicitis over the weekend. Um, we'll, we'll go to a, a, a later. We. I, I have on a call with him, and he gave us a brief five-minute rundown let everybody know that he's alive. He's doing all right, but he was not in you know good enough shape to be hosting a podcast today and just sitting in a chair for a long period of time. Not the best thing. So Adam is is co-hosting today. A little bit of a different type of post week two show. Uh, we've got a lot of things to get to. We got the good, the bad, the ugly. We've got things that we liked from over the weekend. Adam's going to drop some Mizzou knowledge on us. We've got some interesting big picture questions that we're going to dig into. But before we do all of that have to tell you about our friends at TicketIQ. TicketIQ offers low price guarantees on all college football tickets, which means that you get 200% of the price difference if you find the same ticket for less, 200%. TicketIQ shoppers save an average of 20% off of StubHub and Vivid Seats. Download their app in the App Store or Google Play and use code SDS20 for 20 bucks off your first purchase of at least 75 bucks to save even more. That's SDS20, save 20 bucks. All right adam week two was wild kind of all over the place we thought this was going to be a week that sort of defined the sec in terms of the two big non-conference games in texas obviously lsu going to texas that game huge that the a m clemson game massive implications of that and what it could potentially mean for the sec but let's let's start with with lsu because what we saw on saturday night was unbelievable joe burrow just goes off this lsu offense has this revival and LSU picks up the most impressive win of the year for any college football team. Watching this game, did it sort of just feel like LSU kind of came alive and established itself as a national title contender?
1: Yeah, I definitely think that you could go there. Uh, Just something that impressed me, you know, obviously Burrow is getting a lot of the headlines, but this receiving core too, like they're making plays for him. And that that was something that, you know, LSU's always had talent in the receiving core, you know, going back to Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, like you look at some of these guys that they've had come through the program and it's incredible, but to see that this was the first time that they've ever had three receivers hit 100 yards in the same game, that's insane. Like I, I loved watching that they had players making plays all over the field, but they also have a quarterback that's putting them in spots to make those plays and that, that's really cool to see out of an LSU offense. It
0: was amazing to watch just because there was this key point of the game where third and 17 with you know two and a half minutes left, and everything about that moment said run the ball, force Texas to use the timeouts. LSU is up six at that point, and it's like, all right, you know, put it on the defense, do the, do the typical thing here, and just run the ball, try and burn some clock, or at least force them to use that timeout. And instead, you know, credit Steve Enswinger because he He draw drew up just the perfect play, a passing play where Joe Burrow stares down six rushers and is able to find Justin Jefferson and just an absolute dagger touchdown. And I think LSU fans watching that moment, maybe up to that play, they're like, all right, this is great, this is great, but we still need to pull, pull this game out. And watching that moment, that might have been the thing that said to them, okay, this is different. This is not the same old LSU. This is, this is drastically different. Curb, Curb Street had a great quote on the broadcast where he said, this is 2019 LSU. This is Joe Burrow. Forget that. We're here to win. We're here to play for championships. And I think every LSU fan watching what happened in Austin last night felt that. And they, they saw something that they just wanted to see for so long.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you this. like, How much of this do you think is Joe Brady? Like, he's got oh, a lot of headlines. He's gotten a lot of headlines this offseason, uh, and this offense just really does look a lot different, a lot bolder. Like you said, it, it's it, the old LSU thing would have been to run a little draw or like uh, just run it up the middle, see what you can get, run some time off the clock, force Texas to use a timeout, and then you know punt it away, but or kick the field goal or whatever. You know, it's it's been conservative. That's been their mo on offense, and now. Was it really as simple as just bringing in a guy like Joe Brady to be like, "Hey, how about we throw the ball a little more?" Seriously, like, right? What, what was it there?
0: It's it's such a unique dynamic because like I think we kind of take this for granted. And they kept showing the shots in the press box. I'm glad they, did, they that they did of Steve Ensminger and Joe Brady sitting side by side right there because Brady's the one obviously who came in with the RPO system. We're talking about him last week, like, "Oh man, like this is this is really different." But at the same time, it's Georgia Southern. It's different when it's against. Texas and it's in their house and all the hostility coming into this game. They're trying to claim DBU and all that stuff, and LSU just dumped all over that. But this unique dynamic that I, I I give Coach O credit for recognizing that this could work. That somebody in Joe Brady's position wasn't going to want to come in and necessarily be like, all right, I need to be calling plays. I need to be doing this, this, and this. Even though I'm coming from the NFL ranks, Steve Ensminger is still the one calling the plays. It's just Joe Brady's blueprint. He's the one who came in and implemented this offense. And it's amazing that all these LSU coaches have really kind of put their egos aside and Coach O has built something special there. Like everybody's gonna you know, people are still gonna hold him to like the oh, you know, he needs to be Bama to establish himself as this elite coach. Dude is six and two against top ten teams since shedding the interim tag in the start of the twenty seventeen season. Like when can we finally start to give this guy the credit that he deserves? Because that team was ready to go from the jump. And the, the hires that he's made this offseason, we saw all that play out on Saturday night.
1: Yeah, and 6-0 against top 10 teams not named Alabama. Right, like, That's huge, and that's where any conversation of this has to start. Yeah, he hasn't gotten over the Alabama hump yet. But who has other than Clemson and Auburn every now and then? Like, There's not... A lot of teams out there that are beating Alabama. You know, it hasn't been since like Hugh Freeze was coaching Ole Miss that that they've even had like a consistent contender on a yearly basis. So, I, yeah, you're right. Six and zero against top ten teams is incredible, and he's going to have plenty more opportunities to add to that as the year goes on because they still have a brutal schedule. So let's talk about that
0: because. I think there were maybe even some Bama fans last night. I know Marler, you know, had a comment where he, he watched this game and he's like, all right, this is definitely different. This is not, this is a team that, this is an offense that is capable of potentially beating Alabama. Did you watch that game last night and think, you know what? I'm changing my tune a little bit. Maybe not going full on, like saying, yes, LSU, two months from now is going to upset Bama. But did you watch that game and think, maybe I'm maybe I need to give this more of a chance of actually happening?
1: Well, let's just start with, can they, Put points on the board against Alabama, like that's True. that's the issue. And yes, First I do step. think that I do think that they will avoid a shutout against Alabama this year. So that's a good place to start. And then, yeah, that if Joe Burrow stays healthy, you know he does take some big hits, and he's not afraid to stick his nose in there. And if so, if they can keep all of their talent healthy, we already know that Alabama is dealing with some injuries. So if, if they can stay, if the Tigers can stay just as healthy as they have been so far this year. And I know that they've had some issues with uh, Richard Lawrence this mm-hmm. week. Uh, I think Delpit was even banged up at one point. I think yep. he came back in and finished the game. But like, as long as they can avoid any major injuries and keep these guys healthy, yeah, I do think that this is... like I won't go as far as to say that this is the year that they can beat Bama, but can they keep it a one-score game and like have a chance to win to a point? Can they make it a toss-up game? And yeah, I think that this team does look like they can do that. Joe Burrow was special.
0: I mean, real, real special last night. Like the type of special that I don't even know if Jake Fromm has had a game that good. And I, you know, that's a me, good point. I, I love Jake Fromm, but I, I have not seen him play at the level that Joe Burrow played at last night on the road, hostile atmosphere, to come up with that throw in that in that spot in third and seventeen. It's different than the Auburn game last year, where you know Joe Burrow silences the crowd and had that big time throw because before that, you know he really wasn't all that good in that game and his numbers that he was putting up. But he had already hit the 400 yard mark for the first time since 2001 that an LSU quarterback did that in that game. So just an unbelievable showing from him. The interesting thing now that I thought about, too, with this win, what this does for LSU, there is a path to the playoff that doesn't involve beating Alabama. And I know that sounds a little bit far-fetched, and people that hate the SEC would hear a comment like that and think, oh my gosh, you really think that that could possibly happen? It happened to Bama in 2017, where obviously they lose that game to Auburn, and then they're still able to get into the playoff despite the fact that they didn't win their own division. LSU has this marquee non-conference win, and that's the difference. And LSU now has, uh, we don't know, the the AP poll is going to come out in about an hour or so, I think. But um, I, I expect LSU to be sitting there at number three in the country. And like I said, as good of a win as anybody has. So that would be a fascinating um, element to, to this whole equation. If, if we're going into the Bama game and just kind of wondering, like, you know two months from now if LSU is undefeated or something like that if they are able to put together an 11 one season could get very very interesting in Baton Rouge which is the heck of a showing from the Tigers
1: so let me let me go one higher I think that there's a chance that it would be absolutely insane but there's at least a 1% chance right now that the SEC could get three teams into the playoff Woof, Adam, on going a certain there. scenario going yeah. there so let's say so let's say that LSU Let's say that they win out and get to and they get to the uh, SEC title game against a undefeated yep. Georgia team. I see where you're going. Then Bama's sitting there with that one loss. They could get in with some help, like they did in 2017. And then both of those, like obviously, then the both LSU and Georgia would get in with a close game in the SEC title game, theoretically, and Clemson would be the likely fourth there. So they're going to need some help, though. They would need, you know, they would need Ohio State to do their thing and lose to a road underdog. pac team, yeah. They would need, I mean, Michigan looks like they're going to do the job yeah. anyway. The Pac-12 is basically out of it other than Utah at this point. So, uh, don't I mean, forget Washington.
0: Don't sleep on Jacob
1: Eason. Uh, did, I think you slept on Pac-12 after dark last night, my friend. They lost to Cal last night. Don't sleep on them. I'm still not I'm still not, <laughs> not ditching the Jacob Eason
0: hype train. They got a oh, chance. Man.
1: I don't know. Um, I think they're done. Yeah,
0: not 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 ideal. But yeah, uh, we're talking about this in week two. Obviously, it's very early, <laughs> but that doomsday scenario is still there. That's all that matters. One of those teams, the one team that would be there in this event of a four-team playoff that would include three SEC teams, Clemson. A lot of people had questions about Clemson in this rematch against A&M because of what we saw last year. It was before. Clemson made the full-time switch to Trevor Lawrence a lot of people myself included were thinking that am was going to be able to kind of push them at, at least at least for four quarters that did not happen am in this game was they were the bad of of the SEC um, did not have a touchdown in this game for the first 59 minutes and got a nice little backdoor cover a little, little backdoor cover that I'm sure a lot of people appreciated but Kellermond had a chance to make himself some money in this game and he did not I've been very high on Kellen Mond, and this game was not it for him. He played a little bit like his freshman self, and I, I'm not saying that he's regressed necessarily, but you know, you just kind of felt like the moment maybe got to him, wasn't making those reads, wasn't picking up blitzes the way that he has been able to um, throughout this, this time that he spent with Jimbo Fisher. I, I thought that for AM, this was this was a tough, humbling experience, because if you had gone toe-to-toe with Clemson again, that kind of says in year two, all right, this daunting schedule that we have ahead, not that bad, but that was not the case at all.
1: That's what was weird about that game too, because at the start of the game, for the first quarter and a half, it looked like A and M was every bit into exactly. it. They just they just couldn't put more than field goals on the on the board. And when you're playing the Tigers, you've got to score touchdowns when you get the opportunity because they were controlling that game, especially in the first quarter. Played Cause well once yeah. again, because once again, you know, you, like you said, Kellen Mond struggled and he certainly did, but. You know, did Trevor Lawrence look like a Heisman quarterback to you at this point? Like, he hasn't, to me. Fair enough. You've been very
0: critical of Trevor Lawrence. You've been very critical so far.
1: I'm just, I just, the greatest ever talk needs to slow down to me. He's a great quarterback, don't get me wrong. And I'm sure he's going to have his moments this year, and I'm sure he'll be in New York when all is said and done for the Heisman ceremony. But, like, let's just chill. These two weeks here he has not been the greatest ever he hasn't even been the greatest this year which yeah. goes to Joe Burrow so far or Justin Fields depending on who you like there but yeah i just i just thought you know like you said it just early on they didn't score touchdowns when they needed to and then after that they i think they just got disheartened and once clemson got ahead 17 3 it was over they yeah they gave their best shot early and it didn't work out. And then once they did that, they were done. The one thing that I think you can take away watching this, and,
0: and I know there were still people who held on to this belief that like, oh, Clemson would struggle with an SEC schedule or they wouldn't fare as well. Like, give me a freaking break with that. Like, if there's anybody that still holds on to that belief after watching the fe- watching Clemson beat three teams in what many believe is the toughest division in college football, they beat Alabama, Texas A and M. And then Auburn, they've all they've they beat them multiple times since the start of the 2016 season. So like watching what they did to AM, maybe it's a little bit of a different discussion if they go wire to wire with AM. I still think Clemson dominates an SEC schedule, no problem. Like a team that's won two out of the last three national championships. It's silly that that there are still people that even have that thought in their mind. But having said that, I do think Travis Etienne might not put up the numbers that he would, you know, against the SEC compared to the ACC. We saw that run defense. We knew Mike Elko. That's what he does. He puts an extra guy in the box, and he was going to make Trevor Lawrence try and beat him. He was going to say, nuh-uh. Travis Etienne is not going to be the guy to, to, to beat this team. He was held to 53 rushing yards in this game. But at the same time, while AM's defense played well despite some injuries, yeah, this was a little bit of a humbling experience to go into Death Valley and it just not even feel competitive in the second half. I mean, that, that was a garbage time touchdown. I think Jimbo has still has some work to do and still that team has has a ways to go in the trenches. They still need to build up that offensive line if they're gonna get on that level to where they're competing with a Clemson and Alabama, you know, consistently at least.
1: Yeah, and I will go as far as to say I don't think Clemson would fare as well with an SEC schedule. But what? Like, let's, let's but let's let's justify this here. So they beat ACC teams by an average of thirty teams by, by 30, thirty points, points per team. game, which yeah, is what they so, would do. So let's let's just say that they beat SEC teams by an average of twenty-five points. There you go. So they would okay. fare worse with an SEC schedule. All right, if that's what you mean there by fare
2: worse, then that's fine. <laughs> that's that's fine. Yeah, yeah
1: they yeah. would absolutely be just every bit as good. In the SEC. And we've seen that. Like you said, they play, they challenge themselves. They have, they have, they've played Alabama in the playoffs. They've played South Carolina every year. They've played Texas A&M the past year. So they, they are getting some tests there, but yeah, it would be great to see them out of the ACC (laughs) Gosh,
0: especially after watching Syracuse yesterday, what yeah. they did in Maryland. Oh my gosh. I mean Syracuse is gonna play Clemson next week. I was looking forward to that game. I've been, you know, singing Dino Babers' praises all offseason, and then woof, that that is that is not gonna that's not gonna exactly help Clemson's like soft schedule reputation. But the way that they beat AM, obviously Clemson is still gonna be worthy of of you know the one or a number two ranking for as long as they're able to stay undefeated. All right, a team that would not fare well in any Power 5 conference right now. Oh, my goodness. Tennessee, they are the ugly this week. Rocky Bottom, we we thought it was last week. We're like, okay, losing to Georgia State, Um, a game that you're favored to win by four touchdowns. No. Rocky Bottom is losing your second game to start the season against a non-Power 5 team, um, dropping 0-2 for the first time since 1988. But it was the way that it happened. It wasn't just like BYU came out and they looked like just this all-world team. The fact that fans showed up and they were supportive, I like. I support UVA's fans. I know, like, you got a lot, like, they got a lot of crap last week because of the showing that they had in the second half of that Georgia State game. They showed up. They were ready to go. Whether or not that had to do with the alcohol sold being alcohol being sold in the stadium, I don't know. But if it did, props, hats off, to have that gushing, just absolutely gut wrenching, final play in regulation or second to last play, whatever you want to call it. Where they're they're in BYU's inside their own twenty, down three with twenty seconds left, and then they're you know Tennessee's got a ninety nine point six win probability, and then they have a complete breakdown in coverage and this massive like massive sixty five yard uh, pass play whatever it was to set up a game tying field goal like is a Tennessee fan if there's that like that's the ultimate kick to the nuts like I don't know how it can get much worse than that in that moment and then to lose in overtime obviously like that. Did you did you see this coming at all? Like, were you watching that game assuming it was over? Was everybody kind of like, all right, let's Tennessee finally got their win? Because
1: I was. No, I mean, I'll tell you how it got worse was that the alcohol sales stopped at the end of the third quarter, so they had to watch oh, that play. No, they had to watch that play, and they had to watch overtime with Ugh. with no beer to help them through that. And Gosh. that I don't wish that on anybody. But yeah, like I. When they have twenty seconds to go and they're inside their twenty, yeah, you think that they're gonna win the game and they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory like that's that I think that was a carry over from the Georgia State game because they just that was just unacceptable, but like that shows just how much of an effect that that lost last week. They were just playing so tight. For most they of the were. game too. It wasn't even just that last drive. They were just playing so tight. They were just asking for a mistake like that to be made. And then it happens at the worst possible time in true Tennessee fashion. And then the, the game winning touchdown when they just got mauled at the line of scrimmage. That's just Terrible. been a That's just been a theme though this year, and even last year. Like mm-hmm. so I have this point that, you know, we've we've heard all offseason. Pruitt has been talking up how many 300 pounders they have, right? right? Two to 15. Yeah. So what is 300 pounds if you don't know how to use it? It's just a fat guy. Like that's – Preach. That's all there is to it. If if, if you get – like 300 is just a number and there's a lot of different ways to get to 300 pounds. You can – get to 300 pounds of muscle or you can get to 300 pounds just to tilt the scales that way with a lot of not muscle let's just say
0: you're saying Tennessee's just soft 300 pounds of dough is what you're saying that that, that was how they were able to get their weight
1: up that's what it looked like how else do you explain them getting dominated by Georgia <sighs> State and Georgia State proved was proven to be right by saying that they would get a tougher test from Furman Because they almost lost that game to Furman. Good old FU. Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, the fact that BYU scored that game when he touched down, basically just
0: like moving the pile like that, was such a fitting way for that game to end. BYU wanted it more, like they they wanted it more, and like um, that's not to say that Tennessee players like didn't want to win or whatever, but like it's when you get in those moments, you can just tell. Like you watch these close, like down to the wire games, and you can you know you could tell watching Michigan Army, you could tell watching LSU, Texas, which team truly wants it more and is going to get after the line of scrimmage. BYU had their entire team basically push that running back in from the five-yard line and they're able to to get this like miraculous come from behind victory and you know what if you're Tennessee right now this is this is such a, a such a dangerous path for Jeremy Pruitt to be on because of what lies ahead the schedule gets way way more difficult obviously like they got Chattanooga next week but like the schedule is brutal to start off SEC play and the saving grace of of the really like horrendous start to what we expect for Tennessee in conference play was going to be okay, they can at least get three wins under their belt in non-conference play, get the fans feeling good, make it feel like bowl eligibility is is a possibility. Is this team still is this team still going to be able to make it to a bowl game because I have serious doubts right now.
1: I would not pick them to make a bowl game right now and I'd when the projections are updated and stuff, I know we release our bowl projections at sometime Sunday night, so I would be shocked if Tennessee was still yeah. included anywhere in the country in bowl projections and they went five and seven last year. I don't think they're gonna even match that,
0: yeah, like I don't I don't know where those those wins are gonna come like they they need improvement in the worst way and it's not just like it's been one thing here and there like oh, one unlucky play or blah blah blah. it's like You've, you've you've put yourself in those positions. You've been beat at the line of scrimmage. You are just you lack an offensive identity. Like all these different issues that, that Tennessee seems to have, just just awful. So last week, what Marler and I did, we gave Tennessee fans five reasons or five things to make them feel better. So because they lost again, we have five more things to make Tennessee fans feel better. Number one, Tennessee, y'all are still undefeated in SEC play, and You haven't lost to a Power 5 team yet. So those were the things we were going to evaluate Jeremy Pruitt on in year two. So as far as I can tell, Jeremy Pruitt's got a clean slate. This is basically preseason. Second thing, Northwestern last year lost to Duke and Akron and still made it to a conference title game. So just throwing it out there, the path to Atlanta, as Michael Bratton tweeted, is still there. Hold on to that belief. It's going to be okay. How did Northwestern
1: do in that conference title game last year?
0: Ah, they hit the 20-point
1: mark, which is, you know,
0: <laughs> if Tennessee scored 20 points in a conference championship, I think Tennessee That's, fans would be
1: ecstatic, so. That would be a win for the season. I, I'll yeah. agree with you on that one.
0: I mean, they can't score 20 points against BYU, so, I mean, I think they would take 20 points in Atlanta. Um, number three, speaking of points allowed, next week's opponent, Chattanooga, allowed 41 points to an FCS school this past week. Ten, uh, Chattanooga, also an FCS school, so. That should bode pretty well to get on the board. I'm just not going to make predictions yet, but I would feel pretty good about that. Number four, we brought up the alcohol thing before. It wasn't sold in the fourth quarter. It wasn't sold in overtime. I know that was rough, but the good news is that it was sold for the first time, and they are not taking away alcohol at Neela next week. So you you got that. You you at least got that. Um, Number five, at least nobody on Tennessee lined up the wrong way like that Florida State player.
1: Positives, right? These are all that's, good things. Yeah, baby steps. It'll be interesting to see. You know, I think we're going to have to scrape the barrel really hard at the bottom if they lose to to Chattanooga next week, though.
2: If they lose to
0: Chattanooga, that's like the ultimate. Like, I I don't know. Th- like, that's one of those things where I mean, we've we've talked about this. Like, the most gut wrenching loss you, you've ever suffered as as a fan. That's a moment where you just rethink being a fan altogether, and you could really have those. Like, no, nah, I'm just Just let me know when this current administration is out. Let me know when I can come back and get... There's just something about this team that I can rally behind. If Tennessee fans have to endure another embarrassing loss at Neyland next week, uh, I would be seriously worried about Jeremy Pruitt lasting through the season, despite the fact that he has that great relationship, obviously, with Philip Fulmer. But, like... My goodness, this has just been an absolute train wreck from a team that I said throughout the offseason, like Tennessee and Nebraska, if I was going to bet on two teams to improve on their win total from last year, and th- that I would bet the house on that. And now, oh man, I might have to put
1: my house up. Speaking of embarrassing losses, let's oh, move boy. on to a team that <laughs> had won in week one last week. Yep. Uh, my beloved Missouri Tigers. For those Adam. of you who know me, I went to Mizzou and Sick I. Yeah, brag. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not shy about mentioning that in my articles. And yeah, they came out and laid an egg in uh, Wyoming last week. But the good news is they bounced back. They got back to lower elevation and they got back to doing the things that we thought that we were going to see, beating West Virginia 38 to seven, and it wasn't even that close because. West Virginia scored a garbage-time touchdown to get on the board there late.
0: So let me start right there.
1: The elevation was the difference, right? Yeah, okay. So can I have a minute to do a rant about Mizzou and how I— Go off, go off. So my plan on how Missouri can go undefeated every year is if they get a preseason game. That's all they need. They need to get a preseason game, Interesting. and they need to lose that preseason game. In, Colum- in Columbia right now, there are two camps: there are the pro Barry Odom mm-hmm. folks who were out in full force after yesterday's big win, and then there are the fire Barry Odom folks who were out in full force after Week One's loss at Wyoming. Both camps are right. Like that's what like everybody has such a strong opinion, but the problem is that there is nobody better at rebounding from an embarrassing loss than Barry Odom.
0: Well, maybe Nick Saban, but yeah, but, Barry Odom too. But
1: no, the problem is Barry Odom has so much experience rebounding yep. from embarrassing losses. That's the issue. So my solution, play a preseason game, lose, tell your team you're 0-1, and then start Coaching, Like, you coach every time you lose a big game because they're great at bouncing back. And it's ridiculous. Like, what beet juice was your big plan in week one to handle the elevation at Wyoming? Like, that's – I don't know. I just – it's – they looked tired and out of shape in the second half of that game when Wyoming was making the comeback. And this week they get back to their home stadium and they just absolutely trounce a Power 5 team – Doing all the things that we thought they were going to do at Wyoming, and but they just they're just not prepared sometimes, and it's been a trend under Odom. So, well, yes, he's a good coach when he has his back against the wall. Like we need to get they need to get to a point where he can coach that way when his back isn't against the wall.
0: Exactly, and I I blame the the beet juice thing. I, I think going with mustard is the better way to avoid. <laughs> Well, that's that's to avoid cramping, I guess. So maybe that wouldn't be as good for for elevation. Um, just Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, if there was if there was an example of a, a Jekyll and Hyde team in college football so far, it, it is obviously Mizzou and. You know, I, I think a lot of the things that we saw on Saturday against the West Virginia team, that, let's be honest, I mean, we knew that the roster was going to be kind of in rough shape. I thought West Virginia was going to be able to cover in this game. I didn't realize they were going to look as bad as they did. But, you know, it happened because both sides. It wasn't just West Virginia's terrible and Mizzou is just ca- capitalizing on an awful team. Like, Mizzou did a lot of the things well that they should have done in week one, which was actually deciding to stop the run. Which, oh my gosh! I mean, what a drastic turnaround after allowing nearly 300 yards to a six-win Mountain West team. They all of a sudden decided, oh, we should probably just tackle guys in the backfield, not let them get to the second level. Seems like a pretty good plan for a defensive-minded coach and Barry Odom. But Kelly Bryant and Albert
1: O. Um, uh, can they both win the Heisman? Is that possible, Adam? I'll vote for both of them if they're <laughs> if they're in there. Let's let's get the joint campaign going. Just get everybody there. They that was quite the connection and. Kelly Bryant looked good last week, too. He just made a couple had of moments, mistakes. Yeah. yeah, he just made a couple of red zone mistakes, and that's the last place that you can afford a mistake, obviously. But this week, he took care of the ball more. Albert O had two touchdown catches. Kelly Bryant, though, he had a couple plays in the second quarter where he escaped just a free rusher. Like, There's no excuse for those players just not being able to bring him down, other than he's just really shifty and he is. got out found tight ends each time. The first one was to Daniel Parker, and the second one was to Albert O for that wide-open touchdown. Mm -hmm. Just a beautiful dime after spinning around every which way, and he located Albert O. Like, that's the sort of stuff that we thought we were going to get with Kelly Bryant, just that escapability that just... It's not necessarily, like, you don't need him to run so much. Like, he, he brings that to his game, which is great, but it's more about... Moving around in the pocket and keeping mm-hmm. plays alive and letting those receivers like Alberto, like Jonathan Johnson, like Jonathan Nance, now those guys will get open if you give them time and and he plays that version of quarterback really well when when he can dance around in the pocket a little bit. He doesn't need to take off he, like that's that's what makes him so dangerous is that he can, but he doesn't need to. And those guys will get open and make plays. So that's that was fun to see that that connection, especially between. Those two star players.
0: Those two Heisman candidates. Yeah, we'll we'll go ahead and say it. We'll say it. (laughs) So we have, uh, speaking of odds, we have a little bit of a... We made a wager in the preseason. I'm not sure. I think I mentioned it once. Uh, I think I mentioned it once in the pod, but just to revisit it now that we've had a couple games... Um, we had a bet, which was prompted because of the fact that I accidentally left Larry Roundtree off my top 25 running backs nationally. And then that got into a little back and forth on Twitter. And then it turned into, you know, me calling you out for having Keyshawn Vaughn at number seven in your SEC running back rankings, which was just ludicrous. How dare you hit on sneak Vaughn? Um, but as of right now, through two weeks, so we have a, our, our wager is that you pick Larry Roundtree. I have Keyshawn Vaughn. Whoever has more yards from scrimmage in 2019, the loser of that bet, you are a diehard Cardinals fan. I'm a diehard Cubs fan. If if you lose this bet, you have to buy a Cardinal shirt. You got to wear it for a full day. I have to buy a Cubs fixes. shirt. Or You have to wear a Cubs shirt. My bad, my bad. Yeah. I would have to buy a Cardinal shirt. We would have to wear it for a full day, and then I'm
1: just gonna send it to you because I don't want that, you know, in in I'm, my place. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking it has to happen at Media Days next year. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good.
0: Yeah, we could go to we could go to Top Golf, uh, rock yeah. yeah, okay, that'd be that'd be fine because that that would be a good way to document it as well. Definitely. As of right now, your boy, Larry Roundtree, bounced back, had a nice week two showing. He's sitting there at 159 yards from scrimmage. Keyshawn Vaughn, not even off to the best start, already at 176, just throwing it out there. So, looks like it's going to be a good down-to-the-wire battle throughout the season. If Vandy could actually figure out how to block and Keyshawn Vaughn could, you know, get a little bit of space, that'd be cool, too. Just throwing it out there.
1: Yeah, and I like the way that Roundtree going, too. He's building. He's building towards something building. here, you know? He, he struggled at... Wyoming, as did everybody else, and then, uh, you know, he had a nice 99 yards, and then they got him out of the game. He wasn't in for the last couple drives there very often because they had the win in hand. So, you know, the the one thing that does concern me, though, is that Vaughn has his game against Georgia out of the way, Mm -hmm. and Roundtree still has that one to go. But, you know, who knows if he gets going, watch out, because he runs. I mean, they both really have a lot of speed and power, and they're they're just both great all-around backs, but Roundtree really builds off of his momentum, and I'm excited to see what he can do moving forward here.
0: Hopefully they can both stay healthy as well. Week two, it just felt like the week of injuries. Go figure. I mean, Marler is is on the shelf as well, (laughs) but it just felt like there were all sorts of key injuries in week two across the SEC. The most brutal one, uh, as of right now, we don't know his status moving forward. We assume he's going to be out um, sometime. He was carted off the field. Neighbor Terry Wilson suffered what looked like a serious knee injury. And uh, the Kentucky quarterback, who you know, I've said, like I'm high on, I'm sipping the Kool-Aid. I actually, I think I might be partially responsible for this because on last week's pod, I said that the only way that I would change my pick of Kentucky beating Florida would be if Terry Wilson were to go down with an injury. And then sure enough, this happens. So I am really, really sorry. I need to send an apology to Mark Stoops. That's on me. Um, But yeah, Terry Wilson goes down. Another quarterback, Tommy Stevens, went down uh, for Mississippi State. He did not return in that game. Joe Moorhead just made it seem like he probably could have come back in this one upper body injury. Uh, Garrett Schrader came in, kind of mixed results. Go figure. I actually forgot to bring this up the other day. Keaton Thompson, still on Mississippi State's roster, came back out of the transfer portal. Um, but he wasn't able he wasn't able to play this past or this this past Saturday because he was dealing with like a thumb issue or a hand issue, something like that. But Mississippi State needs Tommy Stevens to be active and healthy the thinking is that he's going to be able to but mississippi state faces a kansas state team that's averaging 50 points per game so far so that
1: can't be right <laughs> uh, I, i'm stunned is it? no more
0: bill snyder that's that's the big reason uh, yeah it's chris climate so that's different totally different story but uh brutal injury for um i mean just brutal to see a couple of quarterbacks go down obviously against southern miss a little bit of a different story mississippi state was still able to roll in terms of most valuable players there might not have been a more valuable player in the SEC go down than C.J. Henderson, the Florida cornerback who has just been lights out. Uh, was wearing a boot on the sideline, and Florida, you know, has to lose him against UT Martin, an FCS team that they obviously didn't need C.J. Henderson for. That's the crushing thing, and this comes a week before the Kentucky game, where you know he would theoretically be matched up against Lynn Bowden, Marler's guy. Uh, we don't know the status of of C.J. Henderson. Just that it was it was an ankle injury. Probably not good when you're in a boot in terms of being able to play a week later. But you, you never know. We're probably going to get an update on that. More serious on the Florida side. Kadarius Tony left with a serious arm injury. Um, Mullen Mullen kind of hinted that it was going to maybe be a kind of a week to week type thing. Tony had a post on on social media that made it seem like he'd be out a bit. That's that's brutal for for that team. Like we we've we've talked about to Kadarius Tony a lot and the whole like he needs more touches thing. But like, it, I don't know. Like I, I think he's as dangerous a player as there is in the SEC in space. I, for th- that that could change the way that teams match up against Florida. Even a team like Mizzou, which has had its defensive issues, like not lining up. And if they don't have to face a Kadarius Tony, we think he'll be back by the time they have to play Mizzou. But at the same time, I think that changes the complexion of Florida's offense. Is that fair?
1: Oh, absolutely. He does you know it, it, you hesitate to compare anybody to what Percy Harvin did back in the day but if there was ever a player on Florida that's been as similar to that it's Kadarius Tony and he yep. he just we saw it in the Miami game just what he was able to do when he got that touch that was a that was really where where is Florida without that play that's that was their everything but yeah yep. like i also you know, I also agree that you just absolutely hate to see Henderson go down in a game where, you know, he could have sat on the sideline all game and they would have still won handily. And, you, yeah, you make the point. But when you make the point, like, who's going to cover Lynn Bowden? Well, then you have to go back to who's going to throw the ball to Lynn Bowden at this point. point because yep. uh, I don't know if you saw, but there was a hot mic on the field after the game that caught Mark Stoops uh, saying, that his guy was out for the whole year when he was greeting the Eastern Michigan coach at midfield. So yeah. it sounds like he's probably going to be out for the whole year, which really is awful. Um, but Here's- yeah, so just that game has just now lost a lot of luster. When you are talking about m- missing Terry Wilson, you're talking about Lynn Bowden having to work with a backup quarterback, but not getting covered by C.J. Henderson. You know, no Kadarius Tony. It's just it's brutal. Just
0: put Cash Daniel at quarterback, um, Wildcat <laughs> with him every single time. Cash Daniel, shout out to him, by the way. Our good buddy got his first career interception the other day. Good, good for Cash. Um, some key, some key injuries on the defensive line. Rashard Lawrence, we talked about it earlier. Uh, LSU defensive tackle who's been in college for the last eight years seemingly, um, he went down with an ankle injury. It seemed like at one point LSU just had like every key defensive player out in that game. Grant Elpit went out for a little bit, came back in. Michael Divinity seemed like he was down every other play at one point in the third quarter of that game. Just LSU had Tom Herman all had sorts. some stuff to say about that. Ooh, yeah, Tom Herman. I'm I'm surprised that Tom Herman would come out and like call out anybody or suggest foul
1: play. That doesn't seem like something he'd do. No, not him. He also would never mock a former Mizzou quarterback on the sideline or anything like that. I'm
0: surprised Um, you only refer to Drew Locke as a former Mizzou quarterback and not former Mizzou legend or like.
1: Well, he's he's not a former Mizzou legend. He is he is a Mizzou legend. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, But
0: yeah, Tom Herman, uh, maybe maybe you know, suspicious about some of those those injuries when LSU looked like they were maybe trying to kill some of Texas's momentum. Am was maybe maybe accused of doing the same thing as Clemson because it seemed like every player was going down uh, PV went down uh, Matabike went down and like PV didn't. I don't I think PV maybe like came back and he wasn't supposed to or something like they'd <laughs> already ruled him out and then he came back in the game and it's like oh okay I guess that's happening um but it looked like Am just got really banged up up front did not do them any favors in that game and then um key injury for Auburn Auburn's offense struggled a bit we kind of expected that in the second game with Bo Nix maybe a little bit of a hangover but uh Seth Williams has his arm in a sling of course Seth Williams had the the huge week one the huge week one catch um as big of a play as there was in college football uh saw a possible separated shoulder which would just be brutal it seems like Auburn receivers can't stay healthy for whatever reason and you hate to see that obviously as he's trying to develop a rapport with Bo Nix
1: um, oh yeah, absolutely. He was one of the most exciting players, just in that game last week too. And just you hate to see anybody go out with injuries, especially like you mentioned too. Uh, you know, Madibuke on A and M—that's a huge loss if he misses any time too.
0: I think I've been saying his name wrong the whole time. A and M fans, maybe you can let me know if I haven't. I've been saying Madibuke. I thought I think Madibuke
1: sounds better. I'm saying Madibuke, but I could be wrong too. So we'll, let's let's we'll, call. Him I'm sure JM. someone will. I'm sure someone will let us know. Yeah, seriously. Uh, hopefully a <laughs> lot of
0: these injuries are, are less serious than, um, than than reported. But yeah, it just seemed like across the SEC, and it wasn't just like, oh, it's really, really hot and guys are cramping. It was like actual like legitimate injuries to some key pieces. So that'll probably change the way that some of these lines come out and the way that we talk about some of these Week 2 games. All right. As I said earlier, I was able to catch up with Marler. Um, fortunately, he is alive, and he was able to tell us about Texas Pete.
2: So let's kick it to that now i now excited to be joined by a very special guest, very frequent guest, Marler. How the heck are you?
3: I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm well. Um, Uncle Chris had a very good day yesterday gambling. Um, it was a
2: very, it was a very fun day outside of what happened on Friday. Okay, so I, I explained it at the top at the top of the pod, but for those who like don't know the full background of like what exactly went on. Can you just give like a like a quick rundown of what your last, oh, I don't know, forty eight, seventy two hours have been like?
3: <laughs> so Thursday morning, um, I think you were you were duff or texting about something and I was like, Yeah guys, I, I'm not feeling great today. I got like a, a pain in my side. I'm not sure what's going on. And I just didn't want to um There's like a sharp pain. I woke up with a sharp pain at 3 a.m. Thursday morning, and I was like, I I don't think it's appendicitis because, as I've told you and I'll tell our listeners, one time in college, I thought I had appendicitis. Uh, Dad told me to go to the ER, and it was gas, and that's a pretty embarrassing thing to get over with your friends after you go to the ER complaining about appendicitis, and it turns out it's gas. I was like, I'm sure it's just gas, and there's just something wrong with my stomach. I'll be fine. And Friday morning is still like sharp pain and I went to the emergency care. They did like a couple of tests and they were like, yeah, you got to go to the ER right now. And it turns out I had a penicillin, had to be taken out immediately, had a quick little surgery on Friday. Um, but was able to convince, uh, our, the nurse that I had a very important Saturday ahead of me. And she allowed me to go home after surgery to so staying the
2: night and the next day in the hospital. So I was able to come home and watch some football. Wait real quick. Just so I, I don't know, if people realize this. You had the meme of you in the press box sitting next <laughs> to Hugh Freeze. How did you find the time to do that on Friday or Thursday, whenever you were able to pull that off? I so first off, Michael Wayne Bratton did that. That was that was his idea. Uh, I'm pretty impressed. Gotcha. Yeah, I
3: was I was still doing a lot of social media stuff. I I will say, because I mean, I, you guys know me well enough to know that like I don't I try to try to always find, like, the humor in situations and try to find, like, the light because, um, not in a bad way, it just, you know, just had, had a, not not the greatest background, there's just there's just no reason to be upset about a lot of stuff nowadays, things are great in my life, and um, I I was on social media for most of the day, and I, so I didn't make that meme, it was really good, that was Michael Wayne Braden, but I will say, I was very proud of myself that when I came out of surgery. The very first thing I did was I got my phone and I was checking Instagram because we had put up our staff picks, and my against the spread picks were wrong, and our good friend Barrett Lee had made a joke about it. And I texted our bo- the first thing I did out of surgery was text our boss Kevin Duffy and say, "Hey man, my record against the spread on Instagram is not correct; it needs to be changed."
2: Um, it might so, be too much, Marla.
3: It might be. It might be much. too much work. Work never stops. Money
2: never sleeps. <laughs> yes. Well, we're, we're, we're glad that, that you're you're making a recovery. Um, as you said, like, before we came on, you know, you, Saturday might have taken a little bit out of you. You're in a lot of pain right now. So that's why we're not doing the full pod. Um, Adam is not gunning to take your job, I promise. Um, maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit low-key. I'll have to talk with him about that. But you still, despite your condition, your current condition, your current Hugh Freeze-like condition, want to tell us about Texas Feet. Guys, here's the thing, and and
3: I have a very sad announcement to make, and that is, that Bay taking care of me. Allie has been fantastic. Everyone's been... And by the way, real quick, before we say anything about Texas Pete, everybody that's reached out on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, really appreciate it. It means a lot more than you know. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, Let me tell you this about Texas Pete. Guys, you don't know what you got until it's gone. And right now, this is sad to say, Uncle Chris is not allowed to have any Texas Pete because I can't have spicy foods. And so I need... All of, yeah, I know. Uh, now, does mean that I have, haven't snuck some on the side when Allie's not looking? Of course I have. Of course I have. Of course I have. <laughs> she doesn't need to know that. But here's what I need from all of you. I'm not allowed to enjoy the sweet, sweet nectar of that reddish, orange, burnt beautifulness that is known as Texas Pete. So what I need from all of you is, to, is so I can live vicariously through you, send me pictures Little, I don't need a get well soon card. I don't need any flowers. Who cares about flowers, okay? Um, I'm a man. I'm 40. I want you to send Texas Pete screenshots. I want you to send your favorite recipes. I want you to send what you're putting it on this Saturday for tailgates. I want to see it when we're in Columbia. All those good things, and I want you to hashtag it sauce like you mean it. So this Saturday, even if it's for Saturday, you got something you're cooking up that you think Uncle Chris would love to see, love to have, even though he can't right now? Send it to us at SES and under the hashtag, under the hashtag sauce like you mean it, show us those tailgating recipes and make sure you go to TexasPete dot com slash tailgate for more outstanding recipes. Texas Pete. Sauce like you mean it, guys. There's no losses. Yeah, loss in appendix. There's no losses, just sauces.
2: Amen. Amen. Well Marla, we'll let you, we'll let you get back to, to resting up. We need you at full strength. It's you know, we're we're just getting through week two here. It season is a marathon, it's not sprint, don't need you, you know Getting injured in the first couple weeks of the season, and then having it being being a lingering thing or anything like that. So go rest up, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll circle back on uh, on Wednesday.
3: Well, yeah, we got all that and whatever. Real quick, i be we're only we're only on here for six minutes, which is just not enough time for me to pat myself on the back. What did Uncle Chris <laughs> and and I don't want to say Aunt Connor? When did what did Uncle Chris and Uncle Connor Whoa. tell you guys about gambling? I didn't say. I said Uncle Uncle Chris Uncle Connor. What did we tell you about gambling? Take army, take. Take Auburn and Tulane under and take that South Florida plus five and a half. What happened, Connor?
2: Boom. We hit all three. We hit all never all, right, all three. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go take you some ads and talk to you guys later. <laughs> all right, Marler, be well. We'll, uh, we'll we'll talk real, real soon. But just want to let people know that you're alive. And uh, you're going to make a t- small setback for a major comeback, right? That's right. Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. All right. Rest up.
0: Appreciate Marler for letting the world know that um, he, he did not, in fact, die on Thursday. He's doing probably even better than Hugh Freeze, so good to see that. All right, guy who was alive and well. South Carolina fans are talking about this guy. Five things I liked. One of the things, maybe the the most impressive, um, no, I don't want to say that. I don't want to go that far because he was Charleston Southern. Ryan Halinski, though, heck of a debut for the true freshman quarterback, uh, Gamecock fans were obviously really really excited about see what he seeing what he could do in his first career start, 24 of 3282 yards. South Carolina had 700 yards of offense most in school history. I got crap for like saying I don't care if he's thrown against air. what Ryan Holinsky is doing right now in this week, you know this this first game that he's starting, very, very impressive. What did you think of
1: the true freshman? Uh, well, we mentioned the Heisman candidates earlier. <laughs> let's go for let's, it. Let's let's fire it up right now. No, you're you're right, though. I know that you took a lot of crap for that tweet, but just for a freshman, a true freshman, to be able to do what he did against anybody is impressive. Like, obviously, I was joking about the Heisman thing. We got to see more, but you no, know, no. Let's I, let, let's start it. <laughs> all off. right, you're right. Put him in New York. Just get him there. No, it, but yeah, like the completion percentage was great. The way that he was able to immediately step in and get the ball to guys like Brian Edwards, that's going to be a guy that he needs to have immediate and excellent chemistry with. And it seemed like they were there. And 700 yards, again, great. He had the ground game going. And just the way that he handled the atmosphere. like Wherever he played in California in high school, I guarantee you it was not williams Bryce Stadium and just stepping into that atmosphere and being able to do that. And then the part that I liked the most about his debut was just when Joyner got in and right, ran, right. ran that awesome run down the sideline, set up another run for a touchdown. The, way, the first person that was going crazy on the sideline was Ryan, and that was awesome to see. It, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the Tua Jalen dynamic from a couple yeah. years ago. Obviously, oh, obviously not making the comparison there. Do it. But just just that was awesome to see. And it just seems like those two guys really liked each other and I bet that that's a big reason why Joyner stayed. Good
0: point. Yeah. South Carolina, I as we talked about, like I think there, there are potential changes, their potential ceiling. I think it was it was much lower with Jake Bentley. He kind of knew what it was. Ryan Holinski is still an unknown. We're gonna learn a lot about Ryan Holinsky this week when he has to face Bama, of course. Absolutely. But just just for a good game to be able to get his confidence, not have to just get peppered. You know, you talk about like what it can do for a true freshman if they sit there and they just get sacked eight times in their debut or something like that. They can get a little bit skittish. That was not the case at all. Speaking of true freshmen, George Pickens, another thing I liked, that catch that the Georgia, that the Georgia five star receiver made. Wow, on the left sideline, just like diving and tumbling at the same time. I've never done that motion even like on a trampoline or anything. <laughs> so I can't, I can't speak from experience, but um, just an unbelievable catch that he made. And he ends up leading Georgia in receiving yards. A guy that Georgia fans obviously really, really hyped up about, and they need to see him show up in a big way. And when he has catches like that, it just kind of makes you think, all right, th- this kid can be absolutely special for us
1: yeah I really liked seeing him just show up at all like we he we had to wait a week because he didn't do much against Vanderbilt. I don't think he yep. had a catch in that game, so just this was his real like debut and just this is what we've been hearing about all summer this is what we've been we saw in the scrimmages and stuff that catch that was leaked uh oh, via gosh. video that was incredible and like this shows that he can do that in games and like I wouldn't be surprised if he's their number one receiver by the time all said and done this year, because he's he's that good, and he's already got the every physical attribute that you want to see in a number one receiver. So I'm I'm excited to to watch him just every week moving forward. He's yeah. gonna be a much a must watch.
0: Yeah, starting, not starting, doesn't matter, Georgia fans. Yeah, like if, if he's good, he's gonna be able to get his targets. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, Alabama's run game. Um, I lo- so the thing I liked was Alabama's run game puts up these big numbers, and then everybody afterwards is still talking about how big of a concern it is. And like I get it because it's Bama. It's you're, you're searching for perfection. This is the revenge tour. It's not the let's take our foot off the gas tour. Um, Bama had 318 rushing yards and looked. I, I thought it looked pretty good in the second half. But the comments afterwards are, man, like we couldn't really get Najee Harris going, like Brian Robinson didn't didn't have necessarily the game that we were hoping to in a matchup like this, which is as favorable as any is that Alabama has all year. Yeah, they still put up, you know, 63 points in this one. But if you kind of break it down, it's like, well, 75 of those rushing yards came via that swing pass to Henry Ruggs. And, you know, Tua had that long TD run. So if you kind of, you know, break it down a little bit differently, the numbers can be can be skewed. But... You know, is this is this a legitimate concern for Bama do you think? Like was it was it fair to for them to come out and basically be like, yeah, even though we hit three bills on the ground, we still have issues establishing the run.
1: I just look back to that Florida game and I say, do you want to necessarily establish these guys in in this game against New Mexico sure. State Good point. like like I every touch that especially the running back position, every touch is just that's a ding, and you can only take so many. Like That's been the knock on Alabama running backs when they get to the NFL. It's like, oh, wow, they're all used up by the time they get yep. to the NFL, and they kind of suck when they get there. So just think of that the same way. Like Every hit that Najee and Brian didn't take on Saturday means that they have one more in them when they get to the playoff or the SEC championship game or against LSU or against – Auburn or against Texas A&M like that those are the games that like I don't care how you do against New Mexico State like you said they put up 63 points they could have also won that game by 30 points playing entirely backups and third stringers so like I know that Nick Saban went on that big rant afterwards where he called out the reporter he's like well we can't get teams to play us like you try calling teams and we'll play whoever you want us to play like I because the reporter asked like what do you think that this game does a good job of preparing you for the SEC schedule? And like th- that was the answer. He could have just said no. Like th- these <laughs> games don't do anything for that. But he's like he also came back and said he's just like, look, you have to prepare. We can get better against anybody, and that's that's absolutely true. And you know there is one guy that this game was huge for, and that was oh yes, that was the kicker,
0: Will Reichard. Um, we, we criticized him in the opener. He may or may not have slid into the SDSDMs, tried to get a little bit of extra attention, just throwing <laughs> it out there, whatever. Um, we see you will. Two. Yeah, he will. He will from, from having a game like this. Here we go. This is your attention. Uh, two two kicks from 48-plus, and he didn't miss a single extra point. That's got to be
1: the biggest. I mean, that's what makes MVP. Alabama fans the, the happiest, I guarantee you.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, for all the Alabama fans that – that that we're able to, to stand out there in the heat, you you got a treat because you got to see some kicks go through the uprights, and you know what, you you just, you just take that, and you go home happy because that doesn't happen very often at Bama. Bama might actually have a kicker, and if they do, oh man, look at now, now we're really going to see Bama uh, go off. All right, speaking of the running the running game, the running backs, whatever you want to call it, Kylan Hill is balling i mean that, that dude i, I the, the the hill that i was going to die on this offseason was like kylan hill was going to be really really good if he could just stay healthy and got banged up in this game but still was able to come back he's hurdling dudes like saquon barkley apparently he's been watching a lot of saquon barkley film we know the joe moorhead connection there he's at 320 rushing yards already though i even though he didn't hit the over under of 149 and a half he hit the under in in his total rushing yards in this game against southern miss kylan hill really really good are, are you giving him a chance to be a first first team All SEC guy? Because I I think I am, and, and I know it's early, and we'll we'll kind of wait and see on him. But dude, Ju just looks like he's at kind of a different level right now.
1: I took him in our bet, right? I have Kylan Hill. You have Keyshawn Vaughn. No no, no,
0: no, 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 no. I would never bet against no, Hill. No, yeah, he, never it.
1: He looked he looked incredible. Uh, I, again, you know, you have to justify these by saying putting the qualifier. It's only against right. Southern Miss, but. Like, it's better than him not doing that against southern miss and you know he 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 is running angry and that's what you want to see like he's got something to prove this year uh mississippi state has something to prove in general tommy stevens wants to prove something joe moorhead wants to prove something you know it, it's yep. it's been fun to watch i know that they struggled in the first half uh of week one but since then they've been they've been pretty fun to watch and like, I'm going to keep watching Kylan Hill because I absolutely believe that he could be the SEC's rushing yards leader if he keeps playing like this and stays healthy. Uh, yeah, Marler made the, the comp. He could have a Travion Williams-type season
0: after seeing him in Week 2 do what he did. Yeah, I'm starting to believe that's that's more and more likely. Um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to live in a world in which the Ole Miss defense is like the backbone of that team but it kind of feels like it's starting to happen. They're able to win that game against Arkansas, a game that Marla and I both had Arkansas winning this game. And, you know, credit Ole Miss, that defense that looked really good in week one against the high-flying Memphis offense, um, held, held Arkansas to 17 points, which I realize, yeah, it's Arkansas. They're still very much a work in progress. But holy cow, like Ole Miss is actually able to win these like kind of low-scoring games. They hadn't allowed uh, teams to have uh, less than 20 points in consecutive weeks well, they didn't do it all. They didn't do it twice last year. They had one game of holding a team less than 20 points off last year, and here they've done it uh, in the first two weeks of the 2019 season. Mike McIntyre is making himself some money. Ole Miss defense, like, are, are we ready for that to be a thing? Is that is that possible?
1: Uh, first of all, I was the only one of our staff picks to actually pick the Rebels to win this game, so good job by me. There you go. Um, and then, yeah, like, I was saying this last week, like, McIntyre looks like the right coordinator there. Everybody was giving more publicity to the Rich Rod hire on mm-hmm. offense. And they've, they haven't they have looked super great on that side of the ball yet. And I, I do think that that will come around a little bit more just because they do have some athletes on that side of the ball. But, yeah, McIntyre's defense has come ready to play this year. And, you know, the past years – like well, this year they've really actually started doing the bend but don't break – Style of defense. Whereas last year they would bend and then bend and then bend and then break or just break or just break right away. You know there was just no real bend in the defense last year. So this just to see they don't have to. Once they get going with their athletes that they have on offense, they don't have to have a great defense. They just need to have a not terrible, not historically terrible defense. That's all you need when you have a guy who I think I'm still I'm still in on Mac. Matt Corral, I just think he's struggled in his first couple starts here. But I do think he'll get going.
0: That throw that he made where he was like, it was like almost a jump throw where he was like getting tackled as he was doing it. I can't remember the receiver that he hit. But even Tom, our good buddy Tom Hart, who was on the call, was like, amazed that Matt Corral made this throw like where he should have just gotten absolutely decked and it should have been a, a you know an eight yard loss on a sack or something like that and he saw single coverage, he made, threw it up and it was like the perfect like in the breadbasket throw. He has that ability. He's also gonna have those frustrating moments where he had just a costly fumble during the middle of a key drive in that game and he's gonna have moments where you're gonna you're just gonna wanna pull your hair out. But I think right now Ole Miss is just kinda taking the good with the bad. And that's and called being a freshman,
1: you know? That's that's yeah, what it is. It,
0: it happens. It happens. So, uh, But yeah, Arkansas right now, ugh. I mean, in terms of getting to a bowl game, I, I know Hog fans were were optimistic about that in year two of the Chad Morris era. Chad Morris uh, shuffling quarterbacks like cards right now still, which is just blows my mind. And I think Nick Starkle has to be the guy
1: moving forward. Um, but If he, not for this year, then for next year. Yeah, because he's going has got
0: another year. Yeah, he's going to still
1: be there. And that, that's why it, once once you decide that this season's done, then which they need to decide soon because it looks bad. But nice. once you decide that, then you get, you've got your young receivers that they're really high on. You've got Trey Knox, Traylon Burks. They've got their young tight end who has the last name Henry, so you know he's going to be good. You know they're gonna, They have those guys in place, so make it go to the quarterback who's still going to be there next year because clearly your window is not 2019 like you may have thought going into the year.
0: Oh, one bonus thing that, that I liked, um, I, I didn't notice this week one. I, I did notice it this week, though. John the Don Chavis, that beard is looking healthy. <laughs> healthy. I mean, he could be on like a like a Just for Men commercial or something like that. Maybe like, that's his gray. angle. That's okay. Well, I mean, he, we obviously know he doesn't need the money because he's been like the highest paid <laughs> defensive coordinator forever. But yeah. uh, if, if nothing else, Arkansas fans, at least you got John the Don Chavis looking good on the sidelines. All right, let's close out with It Might Mean Too Much. We're going to say fourth and wrong for, uh, we'll say fourth and wrong for the middle of this week. This It Might Mean Too Much was actually sent to me last week via Kyle Matlock, somebody who sends a ton of It Might Mean Too Much is he's been fantastic in that department. Uh, but he sent this this story long um, something that his wife experienced, his wife Nikki experienced this. So this is from Kyle Matlock. My wife was taking our son, just turned one, year, one years old last week, to school this morning. I don't know how that works. One-year-olds are going to school now. Whatever. All right. Uh, she was turning right and there was a line of cars. so she drove through the safety lane to get to the turn lane up ahead. She was running a tad bit late. After she turned, she sees the blue lights. The cop gets to the car and tells her what she did wrong. She apologizes and he heads back to the popo mobile. This is, again, Kyle's words. Uh, <laughs> when he gets back, he hands her her license and says, I'm going to let you go this time but only because you're a Tennessee fan, and I know you're having a rough week. Ouch. That was last week. That Ouch. was last week. So here's the thing. Tennessee fans, y'all got to get out of jail free card for, for this entire yeah. week.
1: You're Stay good. Stay Knoxville if you're not a Tennessee fan right now is what I'm learning from this.
0: Yes. Um, I, I think there is pretty there could be pretty much anarchy. Not to say you want to go burning couches and doing that stuff. That's a little bit, you know.
1: Full-on purge. Full-on yeah, purge. Yeah, full-on purge. Make but, it happen
0: if you want to speed, I think you, you, that's just, you're out. It's like, this is, this is the equivalent of like your pregnant wife in the front seat right now. If you're a Tennessee fan, exactly. you, you, you've got an out. So Kyle Matlock, thank you for sending that along. Um, quick also want to get to, uh, we have a couple of five-star reviews that I want to get to as well. Um, this one from Nelly six, seven, six, four subject, best college football podcast. I live in Boston and find it a real struggle to have any decent college football talk. This podcast is by far the best podcast I have found, and it isn't close. Texas Pete's is where it's at. Go Gators. Thank you, Nelly. Probably the real Nelly. St. Lunatic,
1: as you're a fan uh, of, I'm sure. I believe he is a Mizzou fan. Just for Is the Nelly record, a Mizzou fan? He would not say, go Gators.
0: Uh, do we know if Nelly's a Mizzou fan? I think he would, he would say that.
1: As a, as a guy who had a friend who mowed Nelly's lawn. Oh, uh, sick brag. Yeah, I don't know if he's a Mizzou fan, though, or not. <laughs> I, can't, I can't make that statement definitively.
0: All right, this last one from Mark Byers. Uh, subject, when you're saucing, you're bossing. Amen, brother. Uh, I discovered this amazing podcast last year and loved every minute of it. It helped me get through the stress of senior year. Thanks, guys, and keep up the good work. If you like Texas Pete, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother! I just ran yeah. out of Texas Pete this morning. Need to go to the grocery store right after we finish this podcast. Load up, maybe get me a Tommy O'Rourke size case of Texas Pete. Adam, how has your first full time co hosting experience, been?
1: Oh, I just imagine just imagine how many five star reviews you're going to have next week after after I just hosted this. I, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but mm-hmm. guest podcast hoster of the year. I don't know. I, mean, I, I, th- I think you're up for it. I, I don't know
0: <laughs> what kind of podcast awards are available, but I think you definitely have to be up for it. We're going to get five-star reviews that are going to be like, who's that guy that dropped all that Mizzou knowledge and came up with that great idea for Mizzou undefeated season? <laughs> oh, that's Adam Spencer. Thinking outside definitely... the box.
1: Thinking outside Amen. the
0: box. You are. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's at Adam Spencer 4 correct? That is right. Is that because one, two, and three were taken?
1: There's a Adam Spencer in, uh, in Australia who's apparently like a comedian. Oh, Tommy
0: O'Rourke, say hi to him
1: <laughs> So he's pretty famous So I had to go with four
0: Okay, well Adam Spencer One, two, and three, not as good as Adam Spencer Four, That's right. Adam, we we appreciate you coming on We're going to have to, we'll, we'll talk again Probably real soon when we get like our Kelly Bryant Heisman campaign stuff going Albert O slash Kelly Bryant Heisman Campaign, um, Ryan Holinsky Pretty much everybody in the SEC will have you come on We'll break down their Heisman odds, all of that stuff uh, make sure that you are watching Facebook Live. I believe Marler is going to do that Monday nights at 8:30. That's the tentative plan. Follow him on social media. Huge, huge weekend ahead. Marler is hosting a tailgate in Columbia, South Carolina, for the Alabama-South Carolina game. He's going to have all those details on social media. Make sure you're following us on all forms of that. Follow us on Instagram at Saturday Down South. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at Vern Funquist at CJ O'Gara. Adam, you're not Coach O. I know that. You don't have to give us our signature sign-off. So because, because Coach O is not with us, he is enjoying his nice win against Texas, we'll just say it might mean too much. We'll talk to you guys later this week. Right, thanks a lot, guys.